Traditionally, yoga has come to mean certain processes by which we enter into an exceptional, supramundane, extraordinary state of consciousness. Practices and methods have been prescribed and proscribed by which human consciousness can find a little door or a little window through which it can slip out of the noise and ordinariness of our human life and find a little corner or maybe a large space where it can rest in peace and silence and joy. But in Shurabindu's yoga, that may be a passing stage, but what he refers to when he uses the word yoga is a very hard and painstaking difficult labor, a long labor. In one of his early letters, Shurabindu says, if you are not willing to be like the ordinary of the most ordinary human beings, then you are not ready to do this yoga. It's not about entering into some exceptional states. In fact, in the Ishupanishad, which Shurabindu regards as the basis of the life divine, this fallacy is mentioned. There are two kinds of approaches human beings take in life. One, they are completely engaged with the lower existence, lower nature as it is, and within it they find some kind of a harmony. They know nothing more, nothing higher, they strive for nothing deeper. And this great work of the seers compares this state to a state of darkness. When we are identified with only the appearances, with only the movements of lower nature, which are based on appearances, which are governed by desire, which are driven by the ego, but what is strange is that right after this state of affairs, which the Upanishad describes, we are all very familiar with this state. We start from this state. It cautions man to be entering into a still greater darkness. If one leaves this state and enters into an exceptional state of consciousness, it says there are two fallacies. In fact, in Savitri, much later, when death takes Savitri from stage to stage and questions her, tests her wisdom and strength, at the end death has this to remark, you know, it has tested Savitri in its own way on the crucible, whether she is really the right recipient of immortality or not. And it says, you have escaped the snare of forms and the snare of the contempt of forms. This is the double snare. One is that appearances bind us and we want to escape from this life which is full of trouble, sorrow, suffering, also some joy, some kind of happiness within it. And we discover that, well, it is not really worth it and we want to quit the game and pass out into some exceptional state. And there are various ways and means and techniques by which one can arrive at that state. The Upanishad warns us that 
living in that exceptional state and seeking for it only and believing that that is the whole truth of existence is equally another kind of darkness and sometimes a greater darkness not sometimes the Upanishad says it is as if a greater darkness when mother was asked this question she had a very interesting remark and observation she says there are two kinds of people who live in you know ignorance one is the indulgent man who is only indulgent with life with ignorance with greed and all the things which are so very transient and fleeting there is another kind the ascetic who suppresses represses forcibly leaves all these things and walks away from life and existence it does he does not face it he is afraid of the challenge of life and the mother says both of them are not ready for yoga but she says something very interesting personally I prefer the former kind to the latter kind very interesting she says because once you discover that exceptional state it's very difficult to come back and labor into this ordinary life whereas if you are in the ordinary existence you have a hope you have a chance because ordinary existence gives us the experience and pushes us all the time it is goading us to strive for more for better it shows us the limitation of this range in which we dwell after a while the splendors of the surface never sate but if one enters into exceptional state then one is very happy one doesn't want to come back more so because there is a contrast this is important because even now Shurabindo's yoga is a very long labor and human mind the human vital does not have the patience to go through the whole process and it's very easy for it to fall into the trap of all kinds of methods which creep under the name of new age formulas of wisdom which teach us, teach us a technique or a method by which we can enter for some time into a state of peace and calm and we feel very happy well this is transformation but Shirobinda would tell us transformation is a very hard long difficult labor a labor which our mortal strength cannot undertake this lines in Savitri efforts to lasting for our mortal nerves our hearts cannot support our flesh cannot support this effort only the eternal strength in us can dare the immense adventure of that stupendous climb it is not an easy work yet as we saw last time Shubhindu gives the role of the mind as an intermediary there is a role of the mind we rise to the supra-rational but sometimes in our over eagerness we skip a step and we want to jump from the infra-rational animality to the supra-rational divinity and there is a danger that one may miss a step lose a step and fall into an abyss and believe that well one has actually become supra-rational this is a danger which last time we spoke of and Shurabindo gives in a great importance in the early stages of yoga to the development of one part of nature which can be freed from the clutches of the lower nature which can remain alert and awake and look at the movements as they are and that he says the best part in man which can do this is the 
intelligent will called buddhi which is not exactly mental intelligence because mental intelligence is so much at the service of the vitality in us it is pulled all the time by the vital needs desires greeds and it is most of the time we see how human beings uh, use mental intelligence to justify everything that they do because this is the easiest it is more like the devil's advocate in man and to expect this mental intelligence to really look at things as they are is very very difficult in one of the places the mother says when we start yoga all of us start with a world view i am right others are wrong this is the way we all start yoga now as we begin to move if we carry on with this world view it it really hits us very hard we have to begin to look within where are the sources of my own problems which i see figured in outer life what i see in outer life is nothing but a reflection of what is within me it is nothing but divine's way or nature's way of telling us look this is going on inside you if my outer life is in a chaos it means my inner life is in a chaos if my outer life is in a state of disorder it means within me there is a disorder and it is reflected outside if my outer life is in a state of confusion it means there is a confusion inside me which is reflected nothing wrong in going through this stage well as human beings we are what we are but some part in us should be able to look at it that well i need to work upon myself and that part he says we should try to liberate the buddhi the intelligent mind the intelligent will in us which can discriminate and see whether this particular movement is leading me towards what my goal is or it is leading me away having done done this or even while one is doing this very naturally one has to pass off what mother speaks of and shubhendra has spoken of from a mental control to a psychic and spiritual control and this is the very very dangerous movement of yoga because in yoga for various reasons mind is even at its best it its knowledge is a very half knowledge there are many things which are unconscious which can masquerade as higher movement shubhendra speaks about it and the human mind even the highest mind highest mind embodied mind not the highest mind in 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 the in the true sense but even the highest embodied mind the reason cannot really look through the appearances it can be deceived again and again it can be easily caught in the web even when it has extricated itself a whole storm can arise there are forces which the human mind does not even know of it's a total different data which is other than the senses even at its best shubhendra says the human mind labors under the sense data it sees gathers data from the senses based on that it decides but there are forces which are far too cunning far too subtle and far too dangerous and our human mind cannot beyond a point understand them as the yoga advances our little field of nature begins to expand as we have been saying normally in traditional yoga we leave this field and go into the other here the expansion is both ways the higher we rise the greater the abyss opens the wider we move all kinds of possibilities beautiful divine possibilities as well as the possibilities of the denizens of the deeps all these come into the play if one is on the shore and reading a book on the sea it's very nice 
one reads a book of Sindhbad's journey through the sea and it's so nice, we all have read it, it's very beautiful. It's of course the story of inner life, if one can see it. One reads Odysseus' adventure, the story of inner life, wonderful. But when one actually goes into the realm of the sea, it is like going into the realm of the unpredictable. There are not only dolphins there, there are not only beautiful waves that you can surf, there are the sharks, the whales, the jellyfish, every kind of possibility. A man as expert as um, Steve, you know, it was a very good example of yoga. When I saw that uh, story, some of us may be aware, he was in underwater, you know, uh, he used to come on National Geographic uh, and Animal Planet. Uh, every possible creature on earth he could chase and catch and be friendly with, you know, poisonous snakes all over the world. And the way he moved with them as if he was totally in harmony with them. And so he could do with uh, creatures of the water. And uh, he was so swift, so magical, almost like an icon, at least, you know, for many of us. I, I used to enjoy watching him. What a harmony with nature he had. He's by the side of the most poisonous snake in the world. And he could almost befriend it and hold it. And yet, precisely because of that, he was exposed to a very great danger. When he jumped, how he died, it's amazing, you know. He was doing this, they were shooting an underwater film of his going with this stingray fish. And suddenly, one wrong move, and this stingray stung him right into the heart. He died within moments. This, the fate of a man who was an expert, the best man one could find in the world. I know of a similar story with another man, Nilam Khere. These are stories from real life, but they are so real to yoga. Who uh, spent all his life with cobras and poisonous snakes. He even has a snake park um, in Pune. And this man, he has a black king cobra in his cage which he had captured. And the story of this king cobra which he kept and kept in his glass case, he has spent many many days with poisonous snake inside a glass case. But this man one day made one wrong move, one miscalculation and he had to lose his left arm in the process. So this is, as we move on the path of yoga, there is a need of one particular quality. There need of many qualities, faith, humility, vigilance, but one particular quality which mother emphasizes again and again is sincerity. And in fact, she has, you know, this, all this to say, which I thought, <coughs> because nowhere else one finds. To begin with, she says, what is the goal with which we are going? Right from the beginning, what is our calling? And she says, what do you want the yoga for? To get power, to attain to peace and calm, to serve humanity, none of these motives is sufficient to show that you are meant for the path. <coughs> People come asking for peace in Pondicherry, some calm in Auroville. When people used to go to mother, she says, it's there in the collected works. When they would come and say, I want some peace. She would say, go to Raman Ashram. If you want to find peace, go there. You'll find peace. Don't come here for peace. Come here if you want to change your nature and you are ready for going through the fire, the test of fire. It's really a test of fire. It needs nerves of steel to go through it. In this process, 
she speaks of how and what kind of forces can really begin to act upon the human individual the normal psychology doesn't work here that's why many persons who have you know read traditional psychology and they try to understand yoga from that point of view completely fail because the order of forces that become active in yoga are very different even in normal human operations they are there but they are behind and what we catch is a little bit glimpse some shadow of them but in yoga they come out in their open and with all their power and cunning and subtlety so shirobindo says the outer instruments of mortal man have no force he's not even saying may have no force to carry him through the severe ardors of this spiritual journey and titanic inner battle or to meet its terrible or obstinate ordeals they don't leave us it's not like you know okay fine i have got over it or nerve him to face and overcome its subtle and formidable danger imagine not the way is easy the way is long arduous dangerous difficult at every step is an ambush at every turn a pitfall a thousand seen or unseen enemies will start up against thee we are still fighting with outer enemies within and outside here we have to fight with the inner enemies terrible in subtlety against thy ignorance we think we know but we don't know a thousand times and then we discover that my god i could be so blind says a thousand enemies will start up against thee terrible in subtlety against thy ignorance formidable in power against thy weakness and when with pain thou hast destroyed them other thousands will surge up to take their place this is the story in indian mythology of a particular demon whose name is very interesting his name is raktabij the story goes that this demon if you behead him every drop of his blood that falls gives birth to a thousand more demons how do you fight such an enemy one drop and you cut his head there was one if you don't cut his head there is one if you kill him there are thousand so it's a very dangerous situation so as the story goes who slays him kali comes and what kali does she slays and drinks the blood that's why you have the figure of kali wearing a human head with a cup in a hand where she is drinking blood now this drinking of blood is that poison which is thrown out only the eternal strength can absorb it every time you slay it it throws up and thousand others will spring up so there is a simultaneous operation killing and mopping killing and mopping killing and mopping and no human power can do this so he says hell will vomit its hordes to oppose and enring and wound and menace heaven will meet thee with its pitiless test and its cold luminous denial thou shalt find thyself alone in thy anguish the demons furious in thy path the gods unwilling above thee it says you would say divine mother is with me it says yes doubtless the help is there even when it seems to be withdrawn 
but still is there the appearance of total night with no sun to come and no star of hope to please in the darkness beautiful is the face of the divine mother but she too can be hard and terrible when we pass through this kind of a stage when the night of the soul it is only kali she comes wearing the mask of kali and it's terrible even for human heart it shattered in front of her because she slays the ego smites the desires one after another he says nay then is immortality a plaything to be given lightly to a child or the divine life a prize without effort or the crown for a weakling so that is why one has to go through many many stages of yoga and they come in various kinds and various types but shobindo tells us the mother tells us that there are three types of forces that come to yoga and that is why these essential qualities very often we want to skip the basics we want straight away you know to fly the aircraft you know when people want to fly the aircraft become a pilot when a child is born and you ask at 5 years what do you want to do he says i want to fly the airplane so only a foolish parent will say okay very good come i'll take you to the academy and only a foolish teacher will accept him into the academy make him sit on the cockpit show him wants to manipulate and say now hold this theory between that aspiration at the age of 5 to fly the aircraft and the actual control of the steerings there is a long process where it may appear it has nothing at all to do with flying an aircraft i mean i know this event because it actually took place when i joined the air force we were told that we have to log in certain number of hours for flying now none of us wants to you know doctors we don't want to learn all about flying though it's enjoyable thing so i still remember first time some of my pilot friends took me and they said doc very easy just hold the steering it's just like driving a car and very thrilling you know but suddenly something occurred to me i said yes but i know one thing that if you miss the steering of the car maybe at the most there is a little bit of casualty but if i miss the steering here i know what can happen so teach me properly otherwise leave it you know it's like few minutes you hold the steering and you feel very good so these exceptional techniques which don't want us to go through the process of purification which is really the long process when we learn we are fit and deserving candidate to sit and hold the steering so here she says three types of examinations come to the person who is on the path of yoga and these are set by spiritual and divine forces the forces of nature and those by hostile forces these last are the most deceptive in their appearance and to avoid being caught unawares and unprepared requires a state of constant watchfulness sincerity and humility imagine the mother who has already identified with the inner divine at the age of 21 she speaks about it in one of our early prayers to the english man who asked me if i had found my identity with the divine she is already identified at a young age she has all the great experiences and realizations of yoga which men after thousand years with great striving probably find a glimpse of we just take it so casually that between age of 11 and 13 she writes in one of her prayers 
I used to go up. She was in cosmic consciousness, meeting all the beings of the higher worlds at 11. Is it an ordinary thing? We just pass it off and compare it to any ordinary saint and sage. In the entire history of, uh, uh, spiritual history of yogis, these experiences are something which those who treasure it would say comes to rarest of the rare. And after all this, after having seen Shurabindu in her vision, what she does when she has to meet Shurabindu, she tests him. Look at, so beautiful. She doesn't just immediately go. She has already been offered by Abdul Baha to take charge of the movement. Anybody could say, well, it is coming from him. It must be divine will. She refuses. Tagore tells her, come and take charge of Shanti Niketan. She refuses. She knows her work is elsewhere. And even when she has to meet Shirobindo, she sends him a symbol and asks him to give its meaning. Why? She says, I want it to be sure he is not again one of those great adversaries masquerading as a spiritual figure. In Savitri there are lines which describe the fiend was there but cloaked in light. So that's why in this yoga the other day we were speaking all kinds of mixing of influences going to this guru, that guru and all kinds of gurus. It's the most dangerous thing. We don't know. We are carried by appearances. So here she says there are three kinds of forces which come and how they test us. In normal life you are told oh, your test will be this, this day. And you have this syllabus and you appear for it. You are given the lesson and the examination afterwards. Here, you are given the examination first and the lesson afterwards. So, she says, and how? The most commonplace circumstance. The events of everyday life. The most apparently insignificant people and things. Not when you are very vigilant most insignificant all belong to one or other of these three kinds of examiners in this vast and complex organization of tests those events that are generally considered the most important in life are the easiest examinations to undergo when one is awake oh my ego should not come in front is this desire easiest the most difficult are when you are flying an aircraft, Shurabindu says a little bird hit can make you collapse. Usually, aircrafts are most run risk of not colliding with other aircrafts, but of colliding with birds which they miss and you know everything can crash. And then she says, endurance and plasticity, cheerfulness and fearlessness are the qualities especially needed for the examinations of physical nature. These are the easiest. We have a lower nature in us with its desires, impulses, all kinds of things, greed, little bit of greed for food, sexuality, some anger. As long as they are only a part of lower nature and one is starting and one has to go through these, in the beginning, these are still physical consciousness, you know, it likes to enjoy an extra scoop of ice cream. These are also tests, but she says these are the easiest. And what is required for these? Endurance and plasticity. You have fallen, come up, try again, endurance, don't give up. Plasticity, cheerfulness, 
and fearlessness. Don't be afraid if this happens. Don't go into guilt, gloom, depression. Stay cheerful. Trust the, trust the divine. Aspiration, trust, idealism, enthusiasm and generous self-giving for spiritual examinations. Spiritual examinations. There are stories of rishis whom Indra tests by sending all kinds of uh, rewards. And there is one story which touches me very deeply. This is a story of a great saint, of um, great Muslim saint, Baba Farid, a very well-known figure. And his guru wants to pass all his merits to him. He is the next person in the lineage. And he does not know. He is serving with all humility and his master sends him to meet another master just to convey a message. So he goes happily, he goes to the other master and this other master tells him, Oh, I see in you an enlightened being. Come, I will embrace you and with this embrace give you the highest realizations of the highest heavens. Farid steps back. He says, My allegiance and faithfulness are only to my master. Whatever I have to get, I will get from him. If he has chosen not to give me, he knows it in his wisdom that the time is not ready. I don't want this from you. I have come here with an errand. Please take it and I go back. When Farid returns back, his master tells him, this was the subtlest test. Now you are ready to take charge of the entire group. They can be so subtle. If one is wanting powers and realizations, one can fall trapped. Oh, why go through? I have been with my master for so many years. What has he given me? Here is somebody promising me instant nirvana. And nowadays, you know, with technology you can give nirvana. You know, there are courses, 14 days nirvana and 10 days advanced courses where you can experience all kinds of otherworldly things. I know of overheard a group in three days seeing supramental light. Why go through all this difficult labor? And this is a straight road to the abyss. So, aspiration, trust. Aspiration that not to stop till the highest goal comes. Trust in the divine, in the guru, in the master. Idealism, enthusiasm and general self-giving. Not wanting things for oneself but to give. This is the goal of yoga. And the third, vigilance, sincerity and humility for the examinations from the hostile forces. And the mother speaks of how these forces act, especially the hostiles. She says, forces of lower nature is a different order. They are easy to tackle. But hostile forces can sometimes act through the lower nature by making them appear as aggrandized. I cannot help it. I have to, you know, they raise small greed and they make it appear as insurmountable. Little bit of anger and it appears as if, you know, it's an uncontrollable outburst. But usually they act in another way. And she says, uh, Shubhinder says, confusion in the mind, abnormal bouts of depression, spells of crying, sense of hopelessness, loss of faith, loss of will to strive. These are the signs that one is directly under the seize of hostile forces. And sometimes they act in another way aggrandizing the personality. You are a great yogi. You don't need now anybody. All you can manage by yourself. Now you have to only train other disciples. And these traps can be so subtle. The human mind can give suggestions. 
they work in many ways they create a situation and give a suggestion and both ways they work within us and outside us so the one quality which she says before one can pass safely from the mental control to the psychic control is to progressively become sincere and it's here that we find this emphasis especially because we have so many parts within us this is the biggest problem of yoga normally our ego holds this crowd together and we are not even conscious that now this moment we are driven by one part another moment by another and we said this life i feel like this and we think this is me we don't realize that the stress of the i is shifting now from one plane to another one part to another and we don't even observe that this i has become a puppet in the world play so mother says if you take up this path of surrender fully and sincerely there is no more danger or serious difficulty the question is to be sincere if you are not sincere do not begin yoga she clarifies <laughs> she is very different you know normally people like to attract a great crowd to yoga more the merrier gurus like to have many many disciples sri aurobindo and the mother are unique masters they are telling us stay away stay away for our safety because they say it is dangerous if you are not sincere do not begin yoga if you were dealing in human affairs then you could resort to deception but in dealing with the divine there is no possibility of deception anywhere one has to be willing to grow more and more sincere you can go on the path safely when you are candid and open to the core nothing to be hidden from mother people have asked mother questions mother when i am in front of you all kinds of bad thoughts come to me what should i do i don't want to come to you because of these bad thoughts she says no my child all the more you should come don't come wearing a robe of virtue of a saint i don't want it come to me as you are and then she says why these thoughts arise in your mind in my presence she says because they have to be changed many times these things remain hidden but when we are face to face with the divine sometimes the worst in us comes to the surface this is the action of yoga it lays bare things which are hidden inside shobhinda has this line nothing is hidden from my burning heart everything that is inside comes up and one has to confront it so she says how one has to go through open to the core mother i am this a person of mixed qualities baggages take me as i am and change me even this is enough to start with and to continue with of course one should also do as shubhendu say some self enabling sadhana there is another danger the first effect of yoga is to take away the mental control and the hungers that lie dormant are suddenly set free they rush up and invade the being so this is something which people find very difficult to understand they come to yoga and suddenly they find they were very calm earlier but they become more and more angry and they wonder what has yoga done to us well it has only revealed to us what was hidden inside in normal life things are hidden but in yoga they get exposed because the subconscious also flares up it moves this way 
we have those heights and we have those abysses and to match the strength of the climbing soul the abyss comes up to test it and says yes now you have successfully gone go further but when you go further still deeper it digs the abyss deeper that all must cross this is the line in savitri so here she says that mental control is taken away and the hungers are exposed so long as the mental control has not been replaced by the divine control there is a period of transition when your sincerity and surrender will be put to the test it is this which is very dangerous that is why in one of the letters shirobindo says that when people used to say we can you know whether yoga should be done here or elsewhere he says uh, certain experiences and all you can have and to a large extent psychic development you can have spiritual experiences you can have but when you tackle your lower nature the lower vital and the subconscious it is much better to be here because it's very very dangerous it can really hit very hard the place of central influence so here she says that it will happen to all of us the um, the impulses and desires that come up by the pressure of yoga should be faced in a spirit of detachment and serenity not through guilt and suffering oh my god i have this well we have this let's start with the fact not to justify not to indulge go through it if this has come up face it with the spirit of detachment and equanimity constantly aspiring for better and better and better till finally one goes through the whole process as something foreign to yourself or belonging to the outside world they should be offered to the divine so that the divine may take them up and transmute them mother here is this in me greed anger lust vanity take them it's very sad that we have to offer poison stuff but that's the reality of life so we offer it and she changes them if you have once opened to the divine if the power of the divine has once come down into you and yet you try to keep to the old forces you prepare troubles and difficulties and dangers for yourself and then she says something very interesting you must be vigilant and see that you do not use the divine as a cloak for the satisfaction of your desires to satisfy ambitions one can use the divine as a cloak i am mother's representative who is mother's representative she is her own representative she doesn't need any of us perhaps i sometimes feel the work would be much better without any of us yet it's okay if one is going through going through but one should never make this mistake of giving justifications for one's impulses oh sometimes even these justifications now we have read it naturally my mental control is lost and so these impulses have come up it is natural process of yoga justification can be very subtle fine so what are we doing about it so we have to work upon it slowly slowly one goes through so this is as she says that don't give any justification that this is all right this is not okay yes it's not okay i lose myself fine come out try strive this is the path not through guilt do you come to god saying i want union with you and in your heart meaning i want powers and enjoyment beware you are heading straight towards the brink of the precipice 
And then she says, and yet it is easy to avoid all catastrophe. How? Become like a child. Nalida says in one of his uh, uh, writings that Shurabindu's yoga always required one to be a hero. It's not an easy path. One has to be a hero because you are dealing with nature. And nature is so vast, so complex, so many-sided, so powerful that human strength cannot, you know, face it. Human knowledge is very little before its enormity. This is one always needed to be a hero. But now, in their physical absence, one needs to be something more. But then in the next passage he says, or else one should be like a child. Because a child only can completely abandon itself to the mother and ask for safety, security, everything. So he says, become like a child, give yourself up to the mother, let her carry you and there is no more danger for you. Let her carry us. This does not mean that you have not to face other kinds of difficulties or you have not to fight and conquer obstacles at all. Surrender does not ensure a smooth and unruffled and continuous progression. The reason is your being is not yet one, nor your surrender absolute and complete. And then she says, why? You have given, I have given myself to the mother. So, what is the problem now? I can go anywhere. She carries me. Here she is telling us, because as we open in yoga, as the wall of the ego becomes thin, one opens to the cosmic consciousness, whose powers are far greater, the subliminal being, with far greater capacities, and it comes in contact with a much vaster field of consciousness. Sometimes being in this body is a safety. Mother has said that. It prevents the intrusion of many forces, and we are like in a little shell, and we are safe. As long as the chick is inside the shell of the egg, all that can happen is somebody may swallow it, it doesn't even know it has been swallowed. But the moment it comes out, it has to fend itself against the whole world. A brutal world. <laughs> so here, she says, the whole world. Till then, you cannot hope to be without difficulties. For example, like doubt or depression or hesitation. Till when? Till we have gathered all the divergent parts together and forced them into an undivided unity. The whole world is full of the poison. You walk on the street and you breathe it. That's the purpose why she wanted to create a place like Auroville, where you have the world and yet you can exclude at least the cruder kinds of poison which invade us. Since the whole world is full of the poison, you take it with every breath. If you exchange a few words with an undesirable man, now look at the extent she is going. We can justify things. If you exchange a few words with an undesirable man, or even if such a man merely passes by you, you may catch the contagion from him. We take it so casually. It just that little thing can undo, passes by us. How many of us have experienced, we go to the market and we begin to experience desire to take this and take that. It's strange, unless one is a unified being. Simply because these forces are there, 
there are people who come meet us and interact and implant very nice things inside so and then later on we wonder how come this has come inside me so she says it is sufficient for you to come near a place where there is plague in order to be infected with its poison you need not know at all that it is there our knowledge cannot tell us where the poison is coming from whether it was this patient that patient or just in the atmosphere you can lose in a few minutes what it has taken you months to gain now she is not frightening us like a good mother like a most beautiful caring mother she is telling us after that she is leaving us free the mother doesn't impose she tells us and leaves us free so she is telling us that you can lose in a few minutes what it has taken you months to gain there is a line in savitri an idiot hour destroys what centuries built of course even physically one can see the world trade center one idiot hour can destroy what centuries built and it's as much true of inner life with so much patience one builds and it can just go like this so long as you belong to humanity and so long as you lead the ordinary life it does not matter much if you mix with the people of the world very often we say divine is in all beings how does it matter she says yes but there is a difference so she says it doesn't matter as long as you want to belong to humanity it's all right but if you want the divine life you will have to be exceedingly careful about your company and your environment two things she is telling us who are the people with whom we associate with if these are people without aspiration if these are people whose goal of life is just to eat drink and be merry it's not in any sectarian sense very often people misunderstand in the ashram in the initial days the the rule was if one may use the word rule it was so uh, well not strict in that sense that anybody could if they wanted but even to meet someone one first asked the mother and there is a beautiful story about pavitra da about whom one can say if anybody who came closest to touching that height one remembers at least i instantly think of pavitra da and mother has spoken about when he passed away how he emptied his entire consciousness into mother's being and about pavitra da there is a story that somebody once came to give him some tomatoes so that he could make um, tomato juice and take it very innocuous thing what is there somebody out of love has come to give a gift we must suspect love pavitra da tells him i am sorry i have to ask the mother he goes and asks the mother now see this is not a formality one would expect the mother would say what is wrong with it it's just some tomato then he's got with so much love nothing wrong with it mother says tell him this is one and the only last time that he brings something for you this is the way they lived this is the path they have shown who has walked the way how they would that's why even for cinema we have cinema in the ashram it's very interesting how the cinema started people have this urge there is a vital part which wants to enjoy there is a mind which wants to understand so people go and used to see cinema so earlier they used to book the whole hall even if they were 10 ashram people the whole hall used to be booked 
it may sound extravagant but look at the care she was taking how minutely but then afterwards she did, she she saw and she started the cinema here in the playground people were asked why you know why do you stop us from going there and you say it's all right here mother said my child it brings such an atmosphere that i have to spend so many hours to work again on you whereas if it is here the same film i mean in the ashram cinema hall we screen film the abyss and uh, 1942 love story <laughs> films have been screened but it's a controlled experiment you are there she is surrounding the whole thing in a physical atmosphere in a physical consciousness so there is a certain degree of safety which one loses when one is exposed to the world at large that's why shobindu says when you are in the world all that you can practice is some yoga of the gita and some equanimity in the being that is easy but beyond it transformation almost one can forget about it i mean it's possible theoretically but it's so difficult because the forces are there in the world and we take it with a breath so much is was the way of course one may say that now the supermind has descended and everywhere it is active and all kinds of things are there still the basic principle stands if one takes up yoga one should be sincere and vigilant and especially if one mixes up with consciousness which is without aspiration without faith without any urge for a higher life one is very likely runs the risk of being dragged down and this vital interchange is one of the most dangerous things that one can be exposed to in yoga i think we can pause here because now the with this uh, these essential qualities equanimity sincerity the need of disciplining the vital and the body with the mind i think is the right ground for um, speaking about the psychic and going into the psychic and opening oneself to the deeper dimensions of yoga which we will start from march so two weeks we will not have this sharing session Shurbinder and the mother have a very interesting letter to it, and but before we go that go to that, we have to look at one thing. Shurbinder and the mother are like pioneers who are trying to discover the radical cause, cure for the human problem. Now, for that they have to first try and test the possibilities of past cures. You know, it's like how did allopathy develop? It just I am not an advocate of allopathy. 
but it picks up herbs with which certain benefits were there and you try and test and you discover that well it works this way it doesn't work this way then you isolate the active principle allopathy is not at all a good science i am not advocating but i am just giving an example so shurabinda and the mother had to try and test every path that humanity has explored in its effort at self transcendence and self change they have done everything that one can imagine shurabinda has done japa shurabinda has done rigorous pranayama shurabinda has silenced his mind he has practiced the most austere forms of bhakti he has practiced the yoga of the gita to its thoroughness and they have done all this after all that they did the experiment upon themselves then they gave the sanlit path now if they chose not to speak of pranayama in that they had a reason because they could see that things can be through a better way and swifter way now it is there that there is a letter of shubhendra where he says my child um, shubhendra doesn't use the word my child says uh, we had to go through each and every trial and difficulties and possibilities therefore we can say this is the straight and sanlit path to the psychic so psychic cannot be discovered i mean this is not the straight path to the psychic well cannot is a different thing because divine can use anything and how it works is not because of the pranayama supposing i have this aspiration that i want to find my psychic and that's why synthesis comes with that essence i try various methods so one of the method is i have heard if you do pranayama psychic will emerge so i do every day two hours pranayama but what is behind the aspiration for finding the psychic leave aside the pranayama after two days suddenly i have a intense experience with my soul not because of pranayama but because of the aspiration which was behind so techniques per se because we have the other example of course shobindra did pranayama for few hours for few years uh, daily he did it and he said he could write brilliant poetry and uh, his complexion changed and the hairs uh, became like you know as if oil was there he could write 200 lines of poetry with one flow uh, he speaks of these experiences uh, we should not forget that uh, ravana did a far more austere pranayama and even meditation and even something like a religious bhakti at the end of it there was a gigantic ego hiranyakashyap did the most austere hatha yoga that one can imagine for years standing on one feet assuming a certain posture and there we find there is a beautiful poem of shirbindo the mahatmas kutumi so shirbindo says that what is the journey to arrive at that just the mahatma hood not transformation so first this candidate or aspirant goes to a guru and you know guru says who are you go and do something so he goes back and perfects hat yoga and he says which hat yoga not the one with men in kali kali yoga with great austerities and over thousand of years perform but the yoga of the old lemurian kings and he did does it in 3 days and then he gives example of dhruva and hiranyakashyap they had perfected this hat yoga and he comes back to his master master i have done yoga am i ready now he says no 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 go back so he goes back and he does raj yoga he can control the breath he has developed great capacities of vision and feeling again he says not the raj yoga of kali yoga 
but raj yoga of the old atlantic kings and there he gives example of again two great uh, great ones who have perfected this yoga one is ravana and one more character he says they had done raj yoga and then he comes back his face is shining and he is all a glow with a new light and he comes to the guru hanging his locks the description is so real you know you actually feel the man walking in and he goes to the master chest held you know with pride spiritual pride and the master looks at him and says oh go and find krishna and then come back so he goes back with all his powers and capacities he tries to find krishna so now the description is he goes to the hall of yudhishthira he does not find him he goes to the great temples he does not find him he goes to the ashrama monasteries he cannot find krishna then he sees that on the slopes of a hill there is a man who comes from a very low caste ahir and he is dancing and jumping like a madman and nobody can understand why he is so much joyous so when he cast his glance deep he finds something of krishna there so he rushes to him when the madman sees him he says oh you have come with all your powers he gives him a kick and all powers vanish from him all knowledge disappears so he feels like a little child humbled before this man he has done all his yoga and before that touch of delight he feels humbled in that utter humility he stands before him then this man tells him okay you beggar take all these powers back gives him these powers and says right for at least one cycle of creation now i appoint you as the mahatma so essentially at the end what counts is sincerity humility and surrender these are the real things and of course sincerity involves aspiration faith all these things that we have read pranayama is good for bronchial asthma i too recommend it sometimes for <laughs> but not for yoga it's okay <laughs> but those who want to do can do it's up to you know each one yes which pose i am afraid i okay yes to be a child of the mother is all inclusive there is a story i think i did speak of this story but i'll recount it because it's one of my favorites uh, shiva and parvati have two children one is ganesha the other is kartike Now Ganesha as we know is fat his head is like an elephant and his vehicle is a little rat mouse whereas Kartike is swift many armed many headed and he is a warrior god strength is with him wisdom is with him and his vehicle is peacock so one day he asks why is it that Ganesha is called first for all the pujas and not me I am the one who is so. Shiva and Parvati say, "Okay, we will put you to a little test. 
Let's see who is better. We have never tested the two of you because you know there will be sibling rivalry. But since you are so keen, we will have a little bit of a test. So the test is almost an impossible test. Go around the world. Whoever reaches back first is the winner. He will be worshipped first. So both go. Now this is an impossible condition. Look at Ganesha. Even if you know he tries to run on the mouse, it's going to take a long time. And look at Kartike with the peacock. No match. So Kartike immediately starts. Ganesha is wondering how to take this test. By the time Kartike comes back, he sees that Ganesha has already declared the winner. He says, again you have cheated, what is this? So Shiva says, see, this is where the problem is. What he did, he just went round us. And he went round not once but seven times while you were going around the world. He bored at us every time and said, Oh mother of the world, the whole cosmos is in thee. So, when we say we become child of the Divine Mother, it means the entire cosmos is in her. All that we will gain, all the wideness, all the knowledge, all the experience, she will give it to us as a gift. Nalida, when somebody, what he didn't know, I mean, when somebody asked him, these are people who live with children and the mother like little babies. They never went out. There is a famous story when somebody asked Nalida about um, a question about Purusha and Prakriti. Somebody asked, Mother. Mother said, I do not know the difference. Nalini, will you say? Now, this is a very profound statement. Actually, there is no difference. It's a two poises of one reality. Shivinder has spoken about it. But Mother says half jokingly. Nalini, will you explain? Nalida says, Mother, if the Divine Mother says she does not know the difference, then I must admit I am completely ignorant. He doesn't venture to start giving a lecture. Now you see, this Nalida who never went even outside the confines of the ashram. And what consciousness he realized during his so-called last days, he often used to take a name and when somebody asked him, Niroda asked him, Where are you? He says, a little above the over-mind, as if like a little child, he says. Well, sure, Vindra and the mother's own example is enough. When the mother came, she never wanted to go back. And she writes very, very beautifully, almost it's a, there is a touch of sweetness and pathos in her voice, in her words. And one can understand why, because she had to do everything that human beings will undergo. So, she leaves Shirobinda and goes away, apparently because of outer condition. Then she says, I didn't want to go. I almost felt sick. I was almost on the deathbed. I just wanted him to say once, don't go. But he would not say. Look at this state of surrender and equanimity. And so she goes and comes back. And the whole world and everything Staying in one room, they knew what is happening in all the places. And that is the state of consciousness that yoga can give us. That is the wideness of yoga, not the intellectual wideness which comes, because intellectual wideness always has this problem that it takes the, uh, either it, you know, like intellectual narrowness, washes the baby with the bath water. Intellectual wideness accepts the bath water mixes it with holy water and says, you know, the two are one. This is the problem because it cannot understand. 
the real thing. Whereas the true wideness that comes through yoga gives us the right perspective, the right understanding, and we know it because it's through consciousness that one understands. So this is why the uh, wideness should come through an inner union. This is a very interesting story. We'll end with that. Uh, the person told me herself. Now when we say all this, uh, one must understand it's not that we must be here or elsewhere and things like that, but one must understand the great significance at least of returning to this place of central influence. This is what Shirobindra has said, that those who do yoga outside should return again and again to this place of central influence. And there is a meaning in it. So it does intensify the process of yoga without ever knowing it. So there is this lady, she spoke about when people do yoga outside. See, everybody cannot be here, it's not possible, various reasons. But she says there is a need to return to this place of central influence again and again. It does cause a change, even when we don't realize it. So, there is a story which the lady herself has told me. Of course, no name. So, she went to the mother, she had joined the ashram and then after two years, she decided to go out. And um, she had already decided. So she comes to the mother and informs her, Mother, I have decided to go out and do yoga. Many times Mother and Shubhinder used to say these suggestions, you know, they come from a very different source. Mother asked her to wait. When everybody was through with the pranam, Mother called her, held her hand, looked at it, took a rose and she described it so beautifully. She, in a very, almost a fear state, told her, you go round and round and round and round the world and you will have to come back here. And she put that flower very forcefully in her hand. And she says, I really went round and round and round the world and finally had to come back here. But she said something very interesting also, so that one knows the other side of the story. She said, of course, I don't regret it because that was my journey. So eventually, you know, it's the larger plan. But one must understand that it's not like if one stays here, one becomes narrow. This one should not live under that illusion. It's alright to follow one's own journey. But one must know the special significance of a particular place where the tapasya has been done physically and energies and formations have been released in the atmosphere. There is a difference. Otherwise she would not create Auroville at all. She might as well say that, well, it doesn't matter. Why Auroville at all? The reason why she has created Auroville, Matri Mandir, because there is a special purpose. It is a special help to humanity. We can take it or leave it. That's up to us. But it is a help. Same applies to Ashram and the Samadhi. Yes. And no, no, for everyone, see, anything which helps us a little is good. 
and everything can help as i said that you know aspiration is crucial and depending on our nature the divine sometimes gives us a method and we accept it all that we must know is that this method should not be become a rigid thing and we must know its limitations we must know thus far it can take us and no further if the inner aspiration is not right so even when we use a method the method alone is not sufficient the aspiration the sincerity so we have to fall back upon these fundamentals i mean there are people who do japa and something very powerful and yet you know it helps us to have an exceptional state of consciousness i know people who with japa has realized great things and it's a very powerful thing shobhan and the mother has spoken about it yet they say you have to work upon your nature and thoroughly there is no escape from that so many times the problem of method is one can be very satisfied you know uh, every day one sits in meditation for one hour one enters a beautiful space inside one feels good one has some happiness one feels joy then one is lost in the world and you know one looks forward to that moment when one was connected now this is a fragmented yoga in this yoga what we do outside in everyday life the people we meet the places we go all these become important we cannot just you know ignore them because they become part of the all comprehensive yoga this is one of the things to sit quietly and meditate is one of the thing but uh, when method is emphasized this becomes the main thing and all else becomes secondary so this we have to be very careful